Robin, welcome, Blockchain People Podcast. How are you doing, man? 1 a.m. here in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Carlos. It's uh, about 8 a.m. in Dubai, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fresh, I'm fresh. <laughs> All right, you do look fresh, fresher than I feel, for sure. So, guys, Robin is a market analyst at Polka Starter, a company that I'm very much excited with these days and that I've been really following, so I'm really excited to talk to him. For those that might not know Polka Starter, I guess that you can lay down the foundations for this conversation and then we can take it from there, Robin. Sure. Uh, so Polkastata is a decentralized fundraising platform. Um, you can think about it in a way that uh, projects that are in their early stages come to Polkastata to raise uh, funds publicly, right? From uh, users either on the Ethereum or Binance Smart Chain network, soon to be more, you know, hopefully. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, once uh, once Polkadot is finally live, we'll be uh, offering functionality there as well. So uh, these projects come to us and then uh, just uh, tell us, okay, we would like to raise this much money and then we'll guide them uh, from beginning to end of, you know, with everything that they may need to have a successful fundraise. So that's Polkastata and nutshell. Can you just also give us a quick uh, rundown of what your job is as a market analyst? Yeah, sure. Pleasure. I mean, that's <laughs> so this this journey for me started about three years ago, uh, three months ago. And um, so what this entails is really uh, we, we we call it market analysts. But in reality, what what it really entails is, you know, like really analyzing projects early on. Right. And of course, you know, Polkestad has, I would say, like one of the most uh, strict reviewing processes out there. Right. So we we do um, take our job very seriously. We do want to provide our um our users and the people that invest on polkstar.com with you know the best possible projects out there right so we we do the best we can to really vet them early on right and um yeah and then you know further from from the early this it really becomes a bit more of um personal personal experience right because projects have a lot of questions and um you know i'm raising funds is always a bit of a um anxious matter right like it's 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 a very exciting time in a project's you know, timeline and journey and so we help them really um understand you know what it what it takes and what it's um you know what they would need to do and how can they best communicate and sometimes we help them with marketing right and uh, you know like it's really it's really like a full journey from hey we would like to raise funds on Polkastarter to the actual idea and uh, market analysts specifically they do a lot of the process a lot of the uh, communication with the project right so um, all of the all of the recent projects that you that you may have seen on polkastata they were they were vetted by um, by multiple of our analysts right and um, the day-to-day -day communication um, you know like for example you know when they announce the polkastata ido or when they um, want to open the so-called whitelists, right? Or, you know, when they start KYCing or, you know, on the day of the IDO. So all of this communication is usually done by the market analysts as well. So there's a whole journey that brings projects from the beginning to their IDO and uh, project analysts are the ones that guiding them through most of this process. But I mean, fundraising is basically baptism by fire right it's a <laughs> make or break process and you get to learn so much about your project that you didn't even know before you get go through this process yeah. because suddenly you're just in the spotlight it's like yeah that's yeah. when you realize how everything looks from the outside perspective right yes it is like that right and i think a lot of projects like a lot of projects are, uh, particularly when they work with um, with several advisors that have done, you know, prior IDOs, or if they work with, uh, you know, two or three marketing agencies, right? Then they are much better prepared for what's to come because they're advisors and they're marketing agencies because there are a bunch of marketing agencies that are really specialized in this right now, right? So when when uh, projects engage them, they really brief them. Okay, so this is what you will have to do, right? This is what you can expect, right? And there is a lot of very, of very exciting stuff happening during that time, but also a lot of very disheartening things. Like, right, you know, like everybody knows that crypto is like full of scammers, right? And the second an IDO project, for example, announces uh, that they have an IDO on Polkasata, there will be like ten other, you know, fake channels on on Telegram, etc. So 
this is all part of, of this process, you know, where we also brief projects about, you know, okay, what's going to happen, right? How can you prepare? Yeah, so we, we, we want to make this journey for our projects, of course, as, as pleasant as possible. I, I got started in crypto and uh, with a job in 2017 ICO marketing agency, and it was <laughs> worse than what you can imagine. Uh, and I get to talk to a lot of people these days that are working on solutions precisely for this to weed out scammy Telegram channels, to weed out scammy Telegram bots or Twitter bots or whatever bots. And um, yeah, yeah it, everything has changed so much from those days to these days, but you still see the same tactics being played out back yeah. and again. So Robin, I'll just send quickly to a message from our sponsor and we'll come right back to this. The Blockchain People podcast is brought to you by CoinPayments, the world's first and leading crypto payment processor. CoinPayments serves over 70,000 merchants in over 200 nations with industry low fees since 2013. The CoinPayments wallet lets users hold over 2,000 different cryptocurrencies, which is why they're used by giants such as NordVPN and Binance. Whether you're a merchant or an individual looking to get paid in crypto, CoinPayments could be just what you need. And well, since we were just talking about Polka Starter and we we're talking about the, these new methods for people to raise money to for companies to launch up to the crypto space, uh, I, I thought it would be good and we don't have to go too deep into this to give a little explanation on what Polkadot is and why a Polka Starter is built on Polkadot. So can you tell us a bit about this? Sure. I mean, Polkasad is a very exciting technology, right? Uh, both of you know Polkasad and Kusama, of course. Uh, Kusama being the, the test net for uh, for Polkadot, right? So Polkadot essentially uh, will solve a lot of the problems um, that uh, that we currently see, right? I mean, fa fa right now is a is a prime time to talk about this because if Polkadot was where uh, where we all hope it would be right now, then or where it will be hopefully in a few months. Um, all of these problems, you know, with like congestion on Ethereum and, um, you know, like even, even Binance Smart Chain slowing down yesterday, that was pretty insane. Um, all of these things would probably no longer happen, right? Because most projects will be running on their own dedicated, what is called a para in the Polkadot ecosystem, right? And the Polkadot main in the center will merely provide, you know, some security security and uh, consensus mechanisms right and communications uh, communication channels like parachains can communicate um they live in their individual realm right so this is going to be very interesting uh, very cheap to use uh, it's what everybody expects anyway um so this is this is of course where polka start is, go is going as well right so we are pretty much ready to launch uh, whenever Uh, whenever Polkadot is. And when that happens, I think a lot of exciting things are going to happen, right? So we are going to see fundraisers that um, that are no longer for a specific token on Ethereum or, or BSC, right? There will rather be things like, um, like for example, right? To, to get a parachain on Polkadot, you require a whole lot of Polkadot, right? So um, there are things called the parachain lease offering, right? Where people can um, stake or provide you with DOT, essentially lending your own personal uh, Polkadot tokens, right, to the project, and they will give you or lease you um, their token instead. And then they can use this, this Polkadot to actually apply for a parachain slot, right? And when they, when they succeed, usually after a year or two, uh, you have an option to either Uh, return those tokens and get your dot back, or you can keep those tokens, and the dot will be released to the to the company, right? So, essentially, what what you know what Polkadot is going to do is make it make it so that projects can live on their own individual realm while still communicating with all other Polkadot chains, right? Which includes uh, Ethereum, by the way, right? So Ethereum Polkadot is often you know talked about as like an Ethereum killer. That that's not really what it is, right? It's more of a central hub where everybody that or every chain that wishes to including all the future power chains can uh, can use to you know communicate and work together so that you don't have to you know use any like bridges or you know any other sort of things that are currently there to you know move funds from one chain to the other right so in, in general you know we're very excited about Polkadot and what's to come 
Right. And just to add to your explanation, because some people might even want to us to go a bit more basic on what Polkadot is and how it came to being, I just want to lay down a, a bit of history for those people. Um, basically, Ethereum is founded by eight different people, right? Ethereum, it, its origins had eight different co-founders, one of them being Gavin Wood, who then went on to, to found Polkadot. Um, basically what happened, Gavin Wood was the original CTO for Ethereum back in the day when they had these, these titles. He was the one who, well, almost by himself programmed the whole thing. He wrote the original Jello paper and Eventually, as these founders started splitting up, then one of them went on to found Tesos, the other one went on to found Cardano. Then he went on to found Polkadot because everyone was trying to sort of build his vision, of course, Vitalik stayed with the Ethereum. Um, one of the key things in this vision that came, that went on to become Polkadot is that he wanted blockchains to be able to communicate with each other because right now that is a big problem in the scalability sense right that you have whatever number of billions of dollars that are existing in the bitcoin blockchain for example and these billion dollars do not communicate at all with the billion dollars that are locked in ethereum and so on and so forth and so on right so polkadot tries to build this and tries to sort of install uh I don't want to call it a middleman because that's not the word I would, let's call it a bridge in that can help translate what one, each one of these uh, technologies is saying so, so that they can share value rather than speak to each other. They can share value together and this way yeah, everyone can access these public blockchains. And one of the things that you mentioned is that projects are launching in order to be able to exist in all these different chains, right? Yeah, right. So you in essentially, right, to, to run on, on Polkadot, you, you can do two things, right? You can either get these so-called para chains, right? Which are, which are essentially individual blockchains, right? They, they live on their own, but they use Polkadot, as you said, to communicate with each other, right? Among other things. So there's also the old, the whole like, you know, this mechanism is also on Polkadot, but the main everybody keeps talking about is um, yeah interoperability right and how chains can can in the future for example do things like you know lock lock something up on one chain and then you know like release it on another without without having anybody like Binance for example I, I love Binance Smart Chain right like hands down it's, it's they I think without BSC right now would be would be in a much worse spot right so Ethereum would be even more congested but. Having said that, there is a lot of, of of trust that we have to put into Binance, right? Like if you use, you know, Binance, uh, the Binance Smart Bridge right now, uh, what happens is that you, when you when you look at it on the blockchain, right? What happens is that you send money to Binance, and then you receive money on Ethereum or Binance, wherever you want, uh, Ethereum or Binance Smart Chain, wherever you want to like receive the funds in. Uh, you receive those funds from a Binance uh, Hot Wallet, right? Which is exactly the same wallet um, that would provide you with funds if you were using the Binance exchange. So there is a lot of trust in those chains, right? Or in Binance in particular, um, you know, for example, you know, there's like Bitcoin and DOT and XRP and they all exist on, on Binance Smart Chain, but they're all packed tokens based on trust that Binance provides, right? And uh, these are things that ideally we wouldn't need to trust anybody, right? And that's um, where Polkadot will come in, right? So all of these things will be completely decentralized, trustless, right? So that you can actually do things like lock up Ethereum on Ethereum, right? And release some other things on another chain. And because Ethereum and the future power chain can communicate through Polkadot, it's it's trustless. It's, it's, it's quite elegant, in fact. And just like people use the not so much correct term of the global blockchain supercomputer to talk about Ethereum, you can pretty much refer to Polkadot in a rough, extremely rough way as like a machine to create synthetics, right? You put something in and it comes out on a different chain and it stays locked in the, in the meantime. And 
you, you, you can just trust this machine because it's coded, it's there. It's basically a giant smart contract. And then before we leave the concept of Polkadot in general, because this is not what this episode is about, but there's a concept that keeps coming on and on on all of these projects and on the Polkadot ecosystem itself. And that is the Web3 concept. So would you mind explaining what the Web3 is? Yeah, that's, that's a, <laughs> like a like a very difficult question to answer, right? Because Web three means so much to so many different people, right? So I, I'm like sure that every single person that has come on this podcast has given me a different answer on this <laughs> one. So don't feel don't feel pressure. <laughs> no, I mean you know, like to I can tell you what Web three means to me, right? Which um, you know, having having recently launched things like uh, Saito, which is a project that launched on um, on uh, Polka uh, Polka um, they all try to do something similar, right? They make they want to make first of all they want to make the internet a lot more powerful, right? And in part that means if we can decentralization, right? Because when you yesterday somebody said something uh, really smart, uh, he said that if you if you fully decentralize something, right? And you trust code, then that means that you don't need to do anything anymore, right? So because as you just said, right? Like if, if you trust codes and you, you trust that machines will execute as intended, then once it, is, once it is coded and once it is deployed, it's done, right? It will just do its thing, right? So a lot of this, you know, like, um, a lot of this will mean that things become a lot more efficient because you don't need to have people anymore, right? That um, that verify things, right? Because things are just coded and they will work, right? So that means that that would mean that things become cheaper, more accessible, right? You need less money to to do things such as microtransactions, right? So really, what we're what we're talking about is making creating like a global and I'm talking like Web3 primarily from a from a financial perspective, right. But what we're like really talking about is making creating an environment or an economy where where everybody can participate, right, and everybody can, you know, do things like uh, micro income streams, right, and use these to to do other things and everything will be decentralized and more accessible, right? So I think that's accessibility is actually probably a big, a big factor for Web3, right? To make things yeah, accessible to people that previously may have been excluded, right? And to create more powerful ways for the same people to use these things that they previously were not able to use. I really like the way you frame this question, like what the Web3 means to me. Um, this answer about how it's all but yeah at the end it all comes down to accessibility right and uh, having that having said that uh, i think we can we've covered enough of polka to give people a rough idea of what we're referring to here and on or back again to polka starter um you guys haven't killing it with the IDOs, right? You see that every single project that gets listed in there, it, uh, almost all of them reach their funding target because people have a sense that this project, of course, you guys do your work to vet the projects to make sure that they're up to a certain standard before they go live. And that gives people a great sense of security when it comes to, to investing in this type of projects. and. Just to, to paint a picture for people that might not be too familiar, how big is Polkastar exactly? Do you have a rough figure of how much has been raised in Polkastar? How many projects have been there? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so I only joined about three months ago, so I don't have the full number. Um, I can tell you a little bit about the, you know, like how much, uh, how much projects usually raise um, and how many IDOs we usually do per month, roughly like that. Um, so in the last month, I think we did uh, 10 or 11 IDOs. And as you say, we, we vet them very carefully, right? So um, we, I think we're by, no, by now, you know, sort of known, right? Uh, that, we, uh, that we vet our projects to a degree that we're very proud of, right? We have a very, very um, firm, how would you say that? A very, you know, like strict due diligence process, which uh, which we, you know, apply to 
to uh, yeah to a, to a high degree, right? So when uh, when a project comes to us, right, we we make sure, as you say, that they are in fact you know like a like a good fundamental project, right? Um, but yeah, so for this reason, we we only have like only quote unquote uh, ten to maybe fifteen IDOs on average uh, per per month, and uh, the average fundraise. Uh, I'm 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 guesstimating here, right? So I don't know if that's the actual thing. I know that a lot of uh, that you know we don't do raises smaller than uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars anymore, um, and most of them I would say are like somewhere between like two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, yeah, and we're always trying to to make this available to as many people as possible. So on our end, what we're actually trying to do is to get the idea out there that um, that projects don't necessarily need all of DVCs, right? That they don't necessarily need to, you know, fill every possible slot except for the you know the zero point five or one percent or so that they allocate to their public sale with uh, with VCs because you know like co the community is very important for us right and I think it should be to the project and you know projects agree right like one of the one of the reasons that they come to us is to generate a lot of token holders right which of course you know convert into a community so um, for us it is very important that those IDOs are not merely a marketing stunt right so if a project comes to us for example and raised five million and then they say hey we would like to you know raise a hundred or hundred fifty thousand of Polkasater that would be a thing that we would not agree on. You know? So we, we truly care about that the right projects get the right people, right? And that's that's part of our vetting process. And I mean, it's great that you give us a glimpse on what the vetting process is, process is because yeah. yeah, like we all get the idea. And the numbers to me these days, they seem uh, <laughs> they seem very appropriate. Like you're saying the average project rise raises around 150,000 when back in the day it was at least 15 million. It looks like people are getting more focused, right? On their fundraising uh, efforts uh, do you have any any experience on why these projects are getting so much efficient with the funds the funds they're trying to raise yeah i yeah so there there's like multiple things to that right so tackling the last question first regarding the efficiency right um, i think there has been a fundamental shift which is a very positive one i think um that, that projects longer want to um raise you know 15 well, we're getting there actually. <laughs> we can talk about that a bit, um, but yeah. So they don't. They no longer want to raise, you know, like 15, 25, or fifty million, uh, like in two thousand seventeen in the ICO days, right? Um, and instead, what happens is that they raise uh, less money. Though having said that, right now, you know, there there are projects that are raising, uh, not publicly, but in total, they might be raising, uh, you know, like five, six million, right? So they're definitely. Uh, they're definitely, you know, like raising more money than they did three months ago. Um, but with that said, right, so they they raise less overall with with the intention of um, making their token successful and then liquidating some of that, right? So every project has a treasury or a marketing budget, right, or you know, team tokens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if the projects uh, succeed, then they can. Uh, of course, you know, liquidate some of their tokens, which they do very responsibly, I might add, right? So they're not like market dumping 3% of the supply or something like that, right? They're working with specialized people that are liquidating part of the project's tokens in favor of filling their treasury, right? So that, of course, means that the, the, the project is very motivated to um, to be successful, right? And so that that is, you know, I think a major... A major uh, shift that has happened, you know, that to not to not raise, you know, millions and millions and millions upfront, but rather create something that is truly of value and that the world sees as valuable, and therefore, you know, the, the project can can liquidate tokens and uh, yeah, raise their raise their funds uh, like this, right? Um, and then when it comes to uh, you know being like more efficient. Uh, I think, yeah, there has been also a fundamental shift from 2017, where uh, projects in 2017, of course, raised funds primarily, you know, with ideas, white papers, not to say that we are not getting there again. I, we've seen this, right? We've seen a variety of projects like that, that are trying to raise 
um, <clears throat> let's let's say you know five or ten million dollars with the white paper, right? Um, it happens again, but um, generally speaking, the majority of the projects have either significant uh, intellectual property already, right? So they might have a lot of like of their UI UX ready, or they might have um, a lot of code ready, but they are missing the UI to it, or they they might have you know like a like a like a lot of technology that is that is really interesting, or you know things like that. Uh, but the majority of the projects actually already has a beta, right? That people can test. Um, that th it's either ready just before the fundraise or just after the fundraise, something like that. And the other projects, I'd say even like up to twenty percent or so, they have a fully functioning product, right? And they're literally just waiting for their public sale to finish and to launch. So um, that has been a shift that I see. But all of this, right? The token liquidation and raising less upfront and having more ready. These are all like fundamental shifts that hopefully point to a more mature industry. I want to to ask you because you mentioned the UX UI the user experience and the user interfaces of these projects. <clears throat> and I remember fundraising again at a time where interfaces were extremely rough. And <laughs> just to this day, we live in an era in which some interfaces are extremely rough. And you can see it even in some DEXs, which are supposed to be like the top world's technology, the interface starts pretty rough. So how big of a part those uh, user interface plays uh, when you guys have to decide on whether to include a project? Yeah. Okay. So going, <laughs> cycling back to, uh, to how we vet projects, right? So I, I cannot go into a lot of detail uh, because you know, there we we try to protect the integrity of our review process, right? So if we would, if I would tell you exactly what we're looking for right now, then you know projects would try to game it, right? And um, we are we're really you know we're really trying to keep this uh, to keep this entire process as as working as possible without you know biases or any projects trying to you know like tell us what we want to hear in favor of uh, getting into Polkadot or any other ideal platform, right? So. Um, having said that, we uh, we actually have a Medium article on that, which we released a month ago or so. And in that Medium article, we are describing a little bit about what you know what we do. But you know, just to talk a bit about this right now and to answer your question as well, so like conducting an IDO, there there has a lot of things have to happen, right? So it's not only having a great project, um, and then you know if you have a fantastic project and a great team. But you know your website is trash, or you know your white paper doesn't exist, or you know I don't know your communities are non-existent, things like that. Then you can have the best project in the world; nobody's going to look at you, right? So, um, as part of our due diligence process, we are looking at every angle. So, for example, to go back to the UI UX thing, that comes down to marketing, right? So, if you don't have something that can be marketed and that is particularly particularly important for projects that are that are rather abstract right so maybe you have a protocol that's uh, that is a very interesting protocol on a fundamental level but it is very hard for you know like the average non-technical person to understand why this could be useful right then it becomes very important for you to have a website where for example you explain things like okay here's what we do And these are some of the use cases that we can see it being used in the future, right? So things like that are very important from the marketing angle, but then you know there's so much more, right? So we are, we are again, we're very proud of our of our you know due diligence process because we get feedback you know frequently where closers come back to us and they say things like, "Wow, we didn't expect to have such a you know deep due diligence process," or um, you know <laughs> they tell us things like you know. Uh, you know, some like smaller VCs in particular that they, you know, they don't ask any questions when during their due diligence process. They rather ask things like, you know, what's the vesting process like? You know, like how much are you raising? You know, when do I have all my tokens? How about what's, you know, what's the valuation, etc. So we we don't we we look at things like valuation simply because you know we don't want your your private sale or or your seed to be you know like. Uh, 
10x away from the from the public price or something like that it should be it should be fair for everybody right like everybody should be rewarded but one of the things for example that we that we advocate for is that your that your uh, that your last private sale round should be roughly the same as your ideal so we think that the having the opportunity to locking in um, tokens at this IDO or close to IDO price with very high ticket sizes, right? I mean, we're talking, you know, like 50, 100, $200,000 per, per investor, right? Um, is more than incentive enough, right? You don't need to be able to necessarily lock in $100,000 worth of a private sale price and then also have a 3x margin on, on the public sale people that are buying $200, right? So we are very eager to make everything as fair as possible. And as part of that, you know, we're looking at, you know, things like valuation and um, the technical fundamentals, of course, which, you know, I have a background. I was, I used to be a web developer for 15 years. Now, uh, when the bear market comes, <laughs> I'm focusing more on UI UX. So that's what, what I'm doing as well. So um, we have people, you know, from like, with like all types of different experiences. And therefore we, yeah, we look at tokenomics and, you know, UI UX and technical fundamentals that people behind, that's very important for us, right? We very much evaluate the people that are running the project. And I don't necessarily mean uh, the, the experience, right? Like sometimes you can just tell if a project is truly passionate, right? If, if their founders are truly passionate about something or if they are like, you know, rather trying to raise funds as fast as possible because, you know, the market is still like in a, in a bullish sentiment or something like that, right? So people are also very important for us. Um, yeah, and then of course, last but not least, it comes down to schedule as well, right? So um, Polkastata is, is is very busy. So our other uh, launch pads, of course, and um, we do not want to do things like multiple IDOs a day. That's not something we're comfortable with. We don't want to do more than uh, a couple of IDOs, like two or three or so per week, two, right? So that every IDO has their time to shine, right? Which is also very important for us, just part of this making projects feel as good as possible about you know the journey. Um, so when a project comes to us and they would like to do an IDO in like, you know, let's say, you know, like two or three weeks, that might be a tough one, right? So sometimes projects move because they're not ready or something, and then we might be able to accommodate them. So, you know, I don't want to encourage any projects or discourage, you know, any projects from from applying, right? But the ideal, the ideal case is probably about three or four weeks before your IDO minimum uh, to, to apply with Parker Starter. And uh, yeah, so it's like schedule comes, comes in as well. And yeah, then we just, um, we just come to a conclusion based on, you know, like one or two calls that we had, sometimes even three calls and every information, all of the information that was provided to us. And then, yeah, we usually make a decision within about a week. Would you, I mean, I'm backtracking a lot here, but would you mind just giving a very, very short uh, explanation of what the IDO usually looks like for those that are not familiar with this mechanism? Uh, do you ask from a project or a user perspective? Uh, from a user perspective. Sure. Uh, yeah, so this is actually, uh, this is a constantly improving process, right? Because, you know, as, as you know, I think a lot of people don't know how that IDOs are a rather, uh, a rather recent invention, right? So um, I think Polkasat alone is like about half a year old, right? So it's, it has been like very, very recent. And um, so how this process usually looks is, and it has evolved over time and it will continue to evolve, but currently right now, uh, mid-May 2021, what it looks like is that a project announces that they uh, have an idea on Polkasat. And then a couple of days later, they announced that they have a so-called uh, whitelist. So a whitelist is usually more often than not, it's a thing like a, like a Google form or a type form or something in that regard. Some, some projects have it on their own website, uh, like Ethermon right now, they have it on their own website. So um, you then need to apply with, uh, for this whitelist. And sometimes uh, they're asking you to do specific tasks, like maybe they ask you to uh, join their Telegram channel or to follow them on Twitter or, you know, maybe maybe even tweet something, something in that regard. And uh, then you just give them 
your uh, your name, your email address, and the wallet that you would like to contribute from, right? And, and then, just to yeah. just to interject sure. there, sorry, and that's also a way for projects to make sure that they're getting the most the highest possible number of actual humans, non-repeated contestants for the IDO, right? They're trying to weed out the duplicate accounts and they're trying to weed out the bots. So they give you certain tasks that you have to fulfill in order to to exactly that, prove that you're human, prove that you don't have three accounts and you're trying to log in from all of them. Yes. So I would like to say that this is efficient, but as we've recently seen, unfortunately, it wasn't. So uh, in case of Polkastata, for example, we recently completely revamped our tokenomics, right? So um, previously we had about a 50-50 split of uh, a public list where people did not need to hold polls tokens and uh, a polls list where people, a polls pool where people had to hold uh, 3,000 polls. The problem with that was that twofold, that polls tokens got very expensive over time, right? So I personally noticed uh, polls the first time when it was about 15 cents, I think. And then recently it went to like $5 and now it's at like $3 or so. So 3000 tokens is a lot of money, right? So we were talking about like nine to $12,000 or so to get into the private pool, which is, which, you know, for the vast majority of, of, of people is just completely inaccessible, right? And then on the other hand, the public pool, um, you had, you had bots heavily attack these, right? So we had just to give you a couple of anecdotes, which, I, which I'm happy to share now. <laughs> um, we had <laughs> projects literally have a million or two million applications, right? Which as much as I would like to say, yeah, these are real people, Polka starter hype, they were not, right? So um, we have other examples where projects like Saito, for example, uh, they used, uh, they didn't use a Google form, which can be heavily botted. And instead they used um, they used a Telegram bot, which they developed themselves, which uh, wasn't easily bottable if at all. So they only got about, I think, 40 or 50,000 applications, which quote unquote only, right? These are a ton of people that we're talking about. But I, I wouldn't uh, want all of them in my living room. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's too many, my COVID. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so... Um, we we have seen that you know the, the forums are heavily botted and they would always attack the public list because there was no uh, polka starter token requirement right so we have literally seen uh, people sell whitelist spots for two or three dollars when they get whitelisted and things like that right so it was absolutely ridiculous we were not happy with that at all um, so we thought what we could do right so. Now, what has happened is that you need to hold polls tokens, but you need to hold significantly less, right? So how this new process, and I think we introduced it about two weeks ago, how this now looks is that you need to hold only 250 polls tokens, which I think at today's price are like $650, $700, something like that. And there are no more public polls, right? So that means there are no more bots, right? Um, or significantly fewer bots anyway, because now you have this stake, right? That you're that you have to have at least this many polls and you know the more polls you have you know the better your chances etc so we have seen uh, applications drop significantly because of that and uh, that is primarily because of bots right so we have seen our token holders go up significantly as well right so a lot of people really like this change because now they actually have a much much bigger chance uh, so Previously, there were some like anecdotal numbers, but people said that you had like a 0.1% chance to get into the public list, right? Um, the numbers are changing now, of course, all the time because our token holders change, but uh, I can tell you that they are like a multitude better than, than they used to be, right? So um, now what you have to do is just, yeah, hold a minimum of 250 polls for at least seven days before the IDO. And then um, you are taking part in a lottery, right? So the the projects, once, once this whitelisting process is done, they are sending us uh, all of the applications and then we run it through um, a public a public lottery, right? Uh, I say public, it's not really public, but the script that we have is public. So we open sourced it. Uh, so you can verify the results if you want to, right? It's, it works pretty well. And uh, then we just provide the projects with uh, the wallets that won and then they whitelist it uh, on, on their on their contracts, on their pool contracts, right? So, and then you get an email and say, okay, hey, congratulations, you won uh, an IDO. Now you have to do KYC, which, you know, 
centralized or not, unfortunately, that is still a case. Um, so you need to pass KYC. And then once you pass KYC, a couple of days after that, like usually like a day or two after you pass KYC, the IDO uh, is scheduled. You can go to polgastata.com. You can connect your wallet. Just be careful that you connect the, the correct wallet, right? Otherwise, you cannot participate because only the absolute whitelisted wallets can uh, can participate. And always make sure that you are on polkastarter.com. Don't Google polkastarter. Don't don't ask in a chat. You know what's the URL? Just go to polkastarter.com, right? Very simple. Because otherwise, there are so many scams, and it's heartbreaking, right? We see this again and again and again. So just be absolutely sure you are on polkastarter.com, and then connect the wallet that you whitelisted with. And then when the pool starts, you are you can just click a button, join pool, and then you just decide on how much you want to contribute. Um, there's a maximum. Every project sets a maximum. It's usually like two, three, four, five hundred dollars, something like that. Um, and you contribute either in, in BNB or in Ethereum. And that's it. Then you click a button and you're in, right? And then um, usually about 90 minutes or so, this again depends project by project, but the average is about an hour and a half later, uh, you can claim your tokens that you contributed for and the tokens are yours. You can do with them whatever you would like. Was it the, was it Polka Starters? I don't remember that hosted the Polkamon original sale. Yeah, Polkamon was, was us, yes. That, that, that one had a really cool mechanism to it. And I really liked what they did in there because I mean, the Pokemon ripoff, <laughs> apart from it. Uh, they I had the, uh, talking about, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I didn't see any similarities in there. Uh, yeah. uh, but they had the... You were basically contesting in this lottery, right? I think this is like the third time that I mentioned this in this podcast, but it's really, it's been really cool. <laughs> it was really cool. And then whoever won the lottery would win an egg, right? An NFT egg. And you would be able yep. to trade that egg in the secondary market. So from the very start, you were able to sort of do whatever you want with that, keep it because it could turn into something even more valuable after that, sell it if you want it in the secondary market, if you were comfortable enough. And I think that's a very secure way to avoid people doing this thing that you mentioned that about selling their white listing accounts, selling their white listed wallets, which can then go into more trouble because some of these wallets are KYC in some exchanges and whatever. So uh, are you guys planning on continuing to use this mechanism? So, um, so just to be clear, so project is a mechanism, right? Um, so we have currently, for example, Ethermon, which is in no way associated to Pokemon or Pokemon, right? They're just Ethermon. They have existed for a very long time and they're now launching a, a 3D game where you can use um, yeah, characters, they're, they're Ethermons, right? To play against each other. And they are using a very different uh, whitelisting process where you have to go to their website and you uh, you have to hatch some, uh, some Ethermons and then you can apply, right? And I think this is also very interesting because um, it it asks people to interact with whatever you have built already, which then also um, communicates that this is already a working product, right? It's it's already there. You can use it. You can you can play Ethermon right now if you like to, um, and that might convert them into uh, into stronger token holders, which is which is a very interesting idea. So they might overall get fewer applications, but the applications that they do get might be of a higher quality, as you say, right? So um, that is something that we continue to explore. Um, other things are just, as I said, this is a like a like an always evolving process, right? Like Wilder World earlier this week, they did something interesting where they um, they whitelisted a lot of people, but not everybody could get in, and the people. Uh, that did KYC but didn't get a uh, that didn't get a whitelist spot. They got dropped some other things like some 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 goodie bags, you know, maybe with some NFTs or maybe with some like wild tokens, right? So this is also very interesting. So we do see projects take more and more advantage over this, you know, marketing event that is their whitelisting process. And part of that, of course, is optimizing the users that you actually whitelist, uh, but also rewarding the ones that actually make it through. And once, uh, once again, I want to lead us to the point of the 
tokens that people have to hold in order to participate in a token offering, right? Because as you say, you guys lowered the amount of tokens that people had to hold because it would amount to a quantity that would be out of the reach for the average investor, right? If you're asking people to hold around $10,000 worth of tokens just to be able to participate, then you're privileging the... Well, you're privileging the rich, right? Which is something that we've seen in traditional finance or in the non-blockchain world over and over again, uh, that this technology is said to be here to change, right? Um, yep. And we're sort of in the launchpad era. We're seeing many launchpads arising everywhere. And more and more of them continue to do these staking mechanisms that want to award slots to people that hold the most tokens. So how do you think the system can continue to evolve in order to be fairer to those that have less? Yeah, I mean, you know, like in our case, as you said, right? So we, we also have a system where the more tokens you hold, the higher your probability. But we also introduced um, a thing called the cooldown, right? So uh, at Polkastata, you can only, again, <laughs> say only soft, but only quote unquote win one IDO per week, right? So even if you hold, let's say, 10,000 polls, your, your probability is, uh, is much higher than with 250 polls, but you can still only win one per week, right? So this is uh, a first step that we take to like overall fairness, right? To, to just say, okay, these people that have the uh, the ability to uh, to hold as many poll tokens, right? Um, they they should have an advantage, but that shouldn't completely cripple your chances to win if you don't, right? So uh, what we do now, they can win, but they will be put on cooldown for a week, and that of course accumulates, right? Because we have several ideals per week. That means like with every idea, there are fewer people or fewer wallets that can uh, that can win which again, increases the chance for the, for the smaller wallets significantly, right? So that's something that, um, that we haven't seen anywhere else, right? That we have uh, two weeks ago have introduced and started implementing this week. Um, so that is very important to us because, you know, like Daniel and myself, Daniel being the co-founder of, of Polkstarter, um, we sometimes get messages like, um, it doesn't happen often, right? Because it, as always, you, you hear more of the negative than the positive, right? But we do sometimes get those messages, right? Where somebody says, hey, uh, just wanted to say thank you. You know, you changed my life. I invested 200, right? I got like 2,000 or 20,000 out. Um, these things are very important for us, right? It is very, very important for us that people can make life-changing amounts of money, particularly when this gets them hooked in this space, right? So hopefully they will put that into some other uh, some other uh, currencies, right? And maybe they buy some Ethereum, maybe some Bitcoin, whatever, right? So making these, making the tokenomics so that that people um, that cannot afford to have a lot of polls still have a very good chance to getting into an idea sooner or later is very important to us because that's what blockchain is all about in, in our opinion anyway. I've been I've been approached by friends and acquaintances, etc., that want to create a common pool, right, <laughs> to, to participate in uh, in fundraising projects. Because, like you said, these attract a lot of people. These make uh, everyone hopeful that they would invest in the next 100x project, and then that eventually leads to life changing. Um, yeah, to life-changing amounts of money. Uh, I really like this vision that you're sharing that you wish that these people are taking this as an opportunity to start their crypto portfolio and not just as to make a quick buck because yeah, in the end, that's what this industry needs, right? It needs to create value, but also that value to stay locked in the, in the ecosystem. Uh, with so many launch pads around, uh, do you think this is the new mechanism that's going to stay here in order to create value, to raise money? Or are there 
any other, let's call them previous models that are also here to stay, to compete with IDOs and to compete with launchpads in general? Yeah, so, okay. So there's there's like several ways to do it, right? Like Volkerstata really focuses on the, on the decentralization aspect, right? And it is of course, you know, like in so many projects it is progressive decentralization, right? So we have some things that we, um, that we do in-house, you know, like the vetting, right? Or even, you know, writing, writing the code for things like the, the lottery, even though we are, we are like open sourcing it, right? So um, it, it is out there and everybody, everybody can participate if they would like to, but uh, it is progressive decentralization, right? And we aim, of course, at some point to be, uh, for, for the polls token as well, to be much more than just an entry to your, to your lottery, right? So, um, there are several ways, like we have, uh, we have friends at uh, DAOMaker, which are also very, very, very good launchpads. Um, we're working with them quite closely and they are, they are uh, not decentralized, right? So they are, uh, they are doing much more of an incubation model, right? Where they really focus on projects early on and help them. So we like this model a lot too, and that may or may not be something that Polkasata will also do in the future, right? So um, generally speaking, I think there, there will be they're like decentralization or not, I think what will stay is the public fund rate, right? Because they are just, they're just too many benefits uh, to, to ignore, right? Like to, you build a big community when you publicly raise funds, right? Um, you, you generate a ton of token holders, right? Which is also very important. And of course you kickstart your entire marketing, right? So I think this entire, uh, the entire like, aspect of raising funds publicly will actually only get stronger. Uh, so I, if you'd ask me, like if, if I were thinking, I, I briefly mentioned that earlier, right? I, I do think that over the next you know, you know, few months or maybe even year or two, who knows where crypto is going once again, right? But um, we, are, we are very much prepared to see this, the, the switch from projects raising more money publicly versus privately, right? As trust grows that the public is capable of raising a lot of money right uh, because yeah as you see right right now you have um, you have things like um, like coin list which uh, do sales you know of like i don't know how much you know like 10 million 20 million something like that um, and then you have things like polkastata which we are our ideals are getting progressively larger right so if you go back in time you things like uh, fundraisers for you know like thousand or a hundred thousands uh, we don't do that anymore right we really want to push the narrative that the people should raise the money right it's very it's progressive decentralization right uh, we want the people to provide the funds and projects to select their vcs more and more carefully right to to make the space a little bit more competitive right for for vcs to do more and more work to actually get their allocation, which I think can only benefit everybody, right? So instead of just providing money, they will be asked to do so much more because if they don't provide the money, the public will, right? And I think that is something that will uh, that will stay and will only continue to grow. Yes. You mentioned DAOMaker and they have the separate system, right? They uh, a system that comes with its pros and its cons. They break down users in different tiers depending on the amount of tokens they hold for their strongholder offerings. And this has its pros and its cons, like I said, it has everything with proof of stake. Those and it has a lot to do with fairness and with giving people access to these uh, to these tools. I'm curious about your thoughts on permissionless, which is something that I have seen they flirt with, and I've seen the word associated as well with you guys, but I haven't really know. I, I don't really know what does the road to implementation looks like. Uh, do you think we'll ever get to the point where people can raise money permissionlessly in on Polka Starter? Um, okay, so. It was the intention, right? It was absolutely the intention for Polkasata to be permissionless. However, <laughs> we, I think the, the project, and I wasn't involved at the time, right? So as I said, I only joined about three months ago. 
Um, <clears throat> so what what would happen is of course that I think Polkasata wouldn't be um, wouldn't be as trusted as it is right now, right, by the community. Because if you go to, for example, um, there is another platform called Bounce, right, and um, Bounce is very useful um, because it is permissionless, right. So a lot of projects still use it um, to raise money because it's much easier than on to going, you know, to go to like the the uh, IDO way, right. Um, <clears throat> however. There are every time a legitimate project lists a sale on Bounce, for example, they there will be a bunch of other pools that have the same the same name and the same uh, ratio, etc. And they just grab the money of people that want to legitimately participate in the real pool, right? So, if you go completely permissionless, then I believe the platform cannot cannot succeed, right? What I can see, and I think that is probably something that that you know, poker the poker starter token should should be in the future, is that um, maybe the community starts, and I'm saying that completely out of the top of my head, right? I'm, like that might be completely wrong for poker starter, but um, what we might see is things like um, that the token holders can vote on proposals, right? Like the poker starter, for example, has a council, right? So again, progressive. You know decentralization so even if we think that we um that a project should be a great fit we don't actually decide if they can make it into poker starters so we have a council there's a few exchanges on there and uh, you know a few vcs where i think you can go to pokerstarter.com council and there you will see uh, who who's on the on the council and um what you what what will happen is that maybe in the future token holders will uh, larger token holders will, you know, progressively be part of this potentially, right? So that they get uh, a say into this as well. And maybe in, you know, like a in a further future, the council would be completely replaced by by sort of an on-chain vote, right? So that uh, that that I could see, right? Where we at Polygraph would still do uh, do the due diligence, and then if we think that there is um there is a fit, then maybe we propose it. And then based on your tokens, you could vote on it. Something like this, I can see. Um, yeah, I asked you the permissionless question because I don't necessarily think that everything that goes on in launchpad should be permissionless, right? Because as we said, there's a lot of benefits that comes from launchpads like Polk started vetting the projects. And of course, there is a lot of regulatory pressures for the launchpads to only allow projects that are going to do legitimate things and that are going to comply. Um, it's hard to do that when you're aiming for a permissionless model. And we just saw this with Uniswap V3 the other day, right? Like they launched and some, because they have this permissionless model for pools, some people would just set up shady pools and manage to steal funds from a couple of people. And that's, uh, that's just the sad reality that some things are sort of centralized for a good reason. Robin, add, yeah. I, I know we have a time limit. So to start wrapping up with this interview, I wanted to ask you if there are some special projects that you remember from your brief time in, in Polkastarter that you remember fondly or things that caught your attention that got you thinking that, okay, these people are doing the right thing. This is how projects should approach this stage in their in their development. Sure, I mean anything that is anytime we come across um, a project that that not only says that they care about their community, but they actually do something about it, right? And so, Define they launched last Monday, right? And they are a decentralized exchange, which. Um, in the background, so they're based on Polygon, but they in the background use something that they've previously built, which is called a router protocol, a route protocol. So this uh, this protocol is essentially connecting liquidity across exchanges, which is very interesting because then in a month or so when they are, when they mainnet launches, I think they will um, you will be able to go to their decks and then say, okay, I want to exchange you now this much Ethereum to to stable coins. And then they will source this from a variety of chains, you know, like Binance Smart Chain, you know, Uniswap, whatever, um, while you are on Polygon, right? Which is super, super cool. 
And they, for example, did something to uh, to reward their early community, right? So they did something like um, the second they announced that it's going to happen, they had like a snapshot, right, of uh, of wallets that that, that previously supported them. And um, so this is something we like always, right? When when people actually or in projects uh, really try to care for their community. Um, and then Wilder World, as I said earlier, they um, they made sure people that did not get into the whitelist, um, they got some rewards, which is very nice because it tells me that they don't care so much about the money. And instead, they really just want to get their token out there for people to interact with their platform and their protocol and their game, right? Um, and then Ethermon, same thing, right? As part of this of this process, they are giving away uh, a ton of uh, tokens and an, and an airdrop, I believe, um, for people that uh, that uh, didn't get in either, right? So whenever we see things or like projects that are um, that are grateful for the people that follow them and that supported them, and they they know that they wouldn't be where they are without their community, right? Um, we, this is a huge green flag for us, I'll tell you that much, right? So uh, whenever we see something like this, this is, this is very, very, very uh, nice to see, right? And then of course, you know, just projects wise, we have seen, um, we have seen a lot of really interesting projects, right? That, that did really well. And uh, some of them, and that's something Daniel says again and again, is that we, while we want our tokens to perform great on listing, I mean, who wouldn't, right? This is not our primary uh, objective, right? Our primary objective is to, if you look back two years from now, right? And you see that many of the projects that we thought would add fundamental value to the ecosystem, will they still be there, right? And what will their price look like at that point, right? So that is something that we that we ask ourselves all the time, and I think every time we we see a project that does something very fundamentally good and also rewards the community, that is something we we're happy to support. Last last question, and off the top of your head, would you rather see? Let, let me try and get the math right on this one. <laughs> would you rather see one million one million projects? raise $1,000 each on Polka Starter or one huge great project raise $1 billion? Oh man, that, these are such extremes, man. You know, <laughs> I, I don't want any project to raise a billion dollars. I don't think there is uh, any reason for any project in the world to raise a billion dollars. I mean, look at Telegram, right? I don't know what happened to their to their ICO. <laughs> you know, they they, they, know. <laughs> they they don't know either. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a that was a huge disaster. You know, that was completely unnecessary and good for them. You know, I mean, it doesn't like money, right? But yeah, it's completely unnecessary. And uh, then you know, with regards to you know one one thousand um, dollar, I mean, what can you do with a thousand dollars, right? I mean, you need to pay you need to pay you know people you need to pay your uh, your marketing agencies, you need to pay your uh, your Telegram moderators, you need to pay your developers, your designers. <laughs> what can you do with thousand dollars, right? So, I think <laughs> if, if I would yeah. have to choose, <laughs> you guys are getting paid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I wish. Uh, no, I mean, you know, it's 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 like you cannot do it with a thousand dollars. So both neither one of those would be good. The thousand dollar project will never come to life. And the billion dollar project probably also never comes to life. Or if it comes to life, it's probably a crappy project because man, whenever raises whenever somebody raises a billion dollar, I I I wouldn't take them seriously, right? So neither. I think I would reject them both. You know, that's what I all right. <laughs> that's that's the spirit. <laughs> you, you heard it from from Polkastar that you won't get any money here. Man, it's been <laughs> it's been a lot of fun talking to you today. Um Thanks, tonight. Um is there, if now back to serious tone, if you would want to advise our listeners to do anything, to keep learning about Polka Starter, to get involved, what you, what would you advise them to do? Sure. So if you're a user um, and you would um, and you would like to participate in IDEOS, then I think uh, the best way forward is to uh, to join our Telegram group. Just be again, like don't don't join the scams. Don't search in Telegram for Polka Starter. Just go to at Polka Starter. That's it. That's the original one, right? Um, 
And if you have any questions, we have some very helpful mods in there that are always happy to help. If they don't know the answer, then they will ask us and we will revert to get the answer to them so they can answer it to you. Um, so that's the first start. And of course, if you do want to participate in Polkstar ideas, then you need at least 250 polls. If you don't know how that is done, then again, you know, the Polkastarter uh, Telegram channel will be of help for sure. And then, yeah, just keep an eye on polkastarter.com. Just be careful, so many scams, polkastarter.com. There's no polkastarter.io or .me or any of them. It's polkastarter.com. That's the only one that exists that is legit. Um, so at polkastarter and Telegram and polkastarter.com, I think those two are the ones that uh, I would recommend uh, keeping an eye on. And then whenever we have a new IDO, we also have an announcement channel for that. I would, uh, I would just keep an eye on the uh, on the pinned message in the uh, in the Ed Polkasada Telegram channel. Um, follow that as well. So we follow only or we like forward only important information. So whenever there's a new IDO or maybe a whitelist is open or maybe there is an AMA scheduled, which we do very regularly, several times a week on uh, on Polka Starter, then uh, yeah, that's that's the best way uh, to get in, right? Uh, just with those AMAs, for example. So that's a very good way to get a to get a free whitelist spot, actually. So um, two or three times a week, on average, we conduct uh, Ask Me Anything with our projects on the at Polka Starter Telegram channel. We always announce them on Twitter, which uh, where's, where you can also follow us at Polkastarter, um, and on our Telegram. And then when the time comes, the projects introduce themselves for about half an hour or so, and then they take community questions. And the best community questions is chosen by the project and gets a free whitelist spot. So you don't need any polls for that or anything. You can just participate, ask a legitimate good question. And if it's good enough, you get a free whitelist spot. When I have to start registering for that. Um I want to say that there is a lot of hype on Polka Starter. I think well deserved. Like the followers speak for themselves, the numbers speak for themselves. I think the project is very nice. I think what you guys are doing is pretty good. And I, I didn't know about this AMAs until earlier this week when I was researching for this interview. Uh, I really like that you guys, like you said, take the time and take the space to make every project have their time to shine, even if it's a short amount of time. I think that's really special because you don't want to be having your sale at the same time that another big super hype project has it, right? So they all get an equal chance. They all get a chance at the spotlight. If you guys are still listening to this, uh, this one hour time mark, please leave us also a comment on what you would like to see both on the podcast and on Polka Starter how you look at a project, what things have you liked previously on projects. We read all the comments, we reply to all of them. And well, Robin, it's been great having you again. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carlos. Bye bye, everyone.